Good morning, BSLI. I'm your host, Trevor Williams, back on the BSLI pre-flight checklist, season three, episode one. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, back in the swing of things. Today, we have Corey with us. Corey, I know you've been part of BSLI. How's it going so far? And like, tell us, what do you do on BSLI? Sure, I'm I'm doing great today. Thanks for having me. I'm BSLI, I'm on the Spaceport project team and I'm on the payload sub team. So I'm working, helping out, you know, with a payload design this year to launch our Spaceport rocket. I'm also on the admin team where I'm the alumni sponsorship chair. So I'm coordinating all of our alumni events and trying to lead the um, obtaining of new sponsors. Very nice. How many years have you been at OSU? Are you a junior? Yes, this is my third year at OSU. I'm majoring in aerospace engineering and I'm also done for minor in business. Nice. Love the minor in business. I went to Fisher. We all know it. (laughs) But what are you doing on Spaceport right now? I know you say you're working on their payload team. Like, what's the payload this year, if you can go go into detail on it? Sure, yeah. This year, we're conducting an experiment on vibrations and oscillations in the rocket. So we're mounting a heavy oscillator between two springs, oscillating that through a coil of wire and trying to generate electricity by using the, using the, the, the acceleration of the rocket's flight. Interesting. Generating electricity. So you're telling me at some point in time, if it creates enough current, you're telling me it can power the avionics bay if there's enough, you know, volts and amps going through it. Well, that's what we're trying to find out is if it's a, if it's, if it's a scalable source of power potentially in flight. You don't have to bring in too many external batteries and such. I kind of do like that because when you're at spaceport, it's like you're on that pad for a long extended periods of time. So if that, you know, a rocket before you has a malfunction, that rocket could be sitting in that desert and just waiting as the batteries are just slowly draining. But if you're able exactly. to create power on the pad, that kind of changes the competition as a whole. Right. So is it like, I would say the power source, like for this to work, how big is it? Is it like one cube sat or is it like something bigger than like one cube sat? Our current design is looking at about like a one pound oscillator um, contained within about one and a half U um, structure. We're trying to get as slim as we can, but there's a, of course, the hard limit of how big the springs and how big the oscillator is. Mm-hmm. Do you think, you know, the design is going to work? Have you done any testing on it yet? Or are you still in more of like the design phase and building prototypes? Well, we built a small proof of concept test rig last semester that we, we ordered some springs, ordered a magnet, 3D printed some structural pieces, just kind of see, you know, how is, how is it going to oscillate? Maybe we're trying to prove some of our calculations. That, that proof of concept actually didn't really prove any of our concepts, but we were able to learn a lot of valuable lessons about how this sort of mechanism is going to work that should make the actual design and assembly of our actual payload a lot easier. So we are glad that we embarked upon that. I know. I feel like payload sometimes is difficult because everybody has all these different ideas and then trying to put that into like a presentation or trying to build it in CAD or SOLIDWORKS kind of changes how you view the prototype saying we think this is a great idea but until you kind of construct it and put you know building sheets together and doing like the three like different front views and side views and, and isometric sketches it kind of changes as you develop and I know the payload team loves using whiteboards to map things out so I know you guys know that tedious long process and everybody's trying to voice their opinion chime in but like how do you guys navigate that scenario well, fortunately or unfortunately, we don't have too many people on payload. So there's not too much discussion of like a dozen people. We have a couple members who come every meeting, me and the payload lead. And then we have a few other people who cycle in and come a lot, but 
not every meeting. So we're able to, we don't have too many conflicting voices, but I, I'd say we're still pretty productive. Nice. Cause I know the NASA team has a lot of people in the payload team. So it's like, sometimes you can get a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but trying mm-hmm. to get like different parts of the project done. But since there's on such a hard timeline, like getting to that design phase and making the prototype is sometimes difficult for that team. But I can see like spaceport. It's like, well, it's not a payload design project. We're just right, building yeah. a rocket to competition. Base, so. Yeah. So it kind of changes things as you go. But like I was talking to like Maddie, the NASA PM, and I was like saying, make something so universal that you can just keep reusing it every single year and maybe make a few modification tweaks. So make like a universal like payload bay or a universal rocket where it's like, well, we need to go to this altitude and build it this way because, you know, the rocket has to separate apart, separate apart halfway through. So it's like making a rocket so robust that no matter what you do as a payload, like that rocket can accommodate almost, you know, not 99% of everything, but like 95 or 85% of majority of the creations that you put on that rocket, I feel like would be a great way for BSLI to, you know, keep rebuilding the same rocket, but it's like the less ways to change things. But at the same time, you lose the creativity and the experimentation of designing different nose cones, different fins. The list goes on and on to modifications that you can go on with in and outside of the rocket. But, you know, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. And I know yeah. like you guys with payload, the payload requirement changes based on the payload lead. So for all we know, next year, you can guys can make, you know, a payload that shoots out of the rocket to take pictures. Like the probability uh, yeah. is endless. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the structure team would be too happy with having to cut a slot in the, uh, in the body to, to shoot out a payload, but you never know. I feel like once you get that, you know, body tube opening up, I feel like possibilities are endless. Oh, definitely. But when you look at, I would say the payload design, like if you were a payload lead next year, if you want to go down that path, like, do you have a project in mind that you want to explore undertake, or do you want to expand upon this project? I think I would definitely want to kind of explore something different. The idea of a deployable payload outside the rocket intrigues me as much as it would add a lot of complication to a lot of the rocket. I think there's just so many more opportunities when you can leave the rocket. Mm-hmm. I don't think no one has truly figured out how to deploy out of the rocket. Cause like, you don't know how the rocket's going to land or mid flight. And that could be very catastrophic. If like a gust of wind goes up inside the rocket, as it like opens up the payload bay right. and kind of unhinges a wire. Now you lose your avionics by mistake. And mm-hmm. you feel like you soldered it in well, but it wasn't soldered enough. At Spaceport, there were several teams that had deployed payloads, and I believe I think a lot of them deploy Apogee, so they kind of reduce that kind of wind effect of mm-hmm. the drag and all that acting on the payload as soon as it leaves the rocket. But I don't, I'm not sure how well those payloads did. I feel like it's probably like closer to the nose cone, unless they're breaking the rocket like halfway, or just depending on their design. Yeah, probably you're right. It probably pops out with the nose cone, and then it either falls out or it just you know separates itself like has its own shot cord or something else yeah. i i don't know because i'm not on those teams and i can't give you those yeah. insights yeah i'm not sure i didn't look too specifically I actually just joined payload this year last year's on structure so i i based my team down to continue the structure but i decided to switch to payload this year as you know structure is his best team <laughs> the only way we should all continue to preach structures is best team and everybody will know it i know everybody on payloads for nasa will say otherwise but it's always been <laughs> structures structures has its culture yep 
But as I go down through like the different topics, you know, I would say what kind of got you into BSLIM, to be honest? Yeah, um, I'd say that when I toured Ohio State and went to Scott and saw the rockets on display, that's how I first found out about BSLIM. From that, from that moment when I saw those rockets, I knew that if I went to Ohio State, I would want to join BSLI. And so from there, you know, I visited, I visited, I visited BSLI at the involvement fair and, um, you know, got hooked from there. I would say like my BSLI story. I know some people, if you listen to the older episodes, I kind of explained my origin story on how I found BSLI. It was at the tail end of my, you know, the involvement fair in the fall of my freshman year. And it was just like, everybody was like cleaning up and like had like one friend saying, saying that there was a rocket team on campus. I'm like saying a rocket team. So I'm like trying to figure out, you know, a freshman navigating the oval and your phone doesn't work because everybody's on the internet at the same exact time. So yep. there's no way to find the booth. Like you don't know how the numbering system works. And then you find it. And it was just there. It was like the ray of sunlight shining down type of scenarios. Like it's one of those unique moments that you don't get that often. But then it happened. And then like the rest is history, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then as you, you know, continue to go through, you know, your career at OSU, you know, if you look back at it, would you change anything different? Like, like, you know, would you go down a different path? Would you still be an aerospace engineer? Would you be a Mechie? List goes on and on what major you could be, but you know, would you change anything different or would you keep it the same? I don't think there's any academics I'd change, but the one change I would make is joining BSLI my freshman year instead of my sophomore year. I would say it's difficult every freshman year to find that right organization because it's Mm -hmm. just like, it's a madhouse on that involvement fair. So it's like, I can see why people say, Oh, I wish I would have started earlier, but it's just like the time and place of the involvement fair. And then throwing COVID in the mix of things doesn't help a lot of people. And then I have another question for you. If you look, you know, I wouldn't say not look at your career, but you know, going into of space, like what got you into space? And then I'll also piggyback on it. If you worked for any aerospace company or NASA, what would you like to work on? Sure. Um, what got me into space? Well, so I grew up actually in Orlando, Florida. So just a 30 minute drive west of Kennedy Space Center. So I went and saw a few launches live in person, actually. And the one that really like the first launch I ever saw, the one that really kind of got me into space was the GOES-16 launch on Atlas V in November of 2016. I remember exactly when it was. But that satellite was a big weather satellite for um, NOAA. And I remember watching that launch and then eight months later, watching hurricane coverage on the Weather Channel, right? Because in Florida, obviously, mm-hmm. so hurricanes are always a thing. And then seeing, watching the coverage and seeing in the bottom of the screen that the data provided for this, for like the predictions and all that was provided by the GO-16 satellite. So that was like a super tangible evidence of how what we're doing in space, reducing the cost of access to space, is providing tangible benefit to people here on Earth. So that's really what kind of kickstarted my and really solidified that I wanted to go into space. And if you worked at NASA, you, do you have a project or at any aerospace company? Like if you were the head honcho, CEO, or like the main engineering lead, and they get said, you got a blank check, go create something for us. What would you do? Ooh, blank check. Blank check. Well, I'll kind of answer your question twice here. First off, what what existing mission would I want to work on? Because I do I have a prepared answer for this. Go um, for it. Say it. Existing mission I want to work on would be NASA's Dragonfly mission to Titan. Are you familiar? I'm not familiar. For our for our viewers, go into more right, detail right. for us. So at 
after NASA sent the um, little tiny helicopter to Mars, and that was a big success, they greenlit um, a mission to, to Titan, Saturn's moon, that has a thick atmosphere, much thicker than Mars. Titan's atmosphere is actually so thick you could fly on Titan if you just strapped wings to yourself. And they're sending basically an aerial vehicle there to kind of hop around Titan and um, do all kinds of scientific experiments. So I think like that's a super cool intersection of the aero side of aerospace and the mm -hmm. space side of aerospace. So I guess what rocket do you think they're going to use to, you know, get it there? Oh, uh, it's not going to launch for a great many years. And I believe 2027 is the current date. So probably it's hard to even say what rockets will be operational in four years. Yeah, that's very true. A lot of a lot of creative minds, a lot of companies having oh, yes. small vehicles, but every once in a while, somebody tries for a behemoth and mm -hmm. either works out well or it does not work at all. Right. And then to answer your second question, blank check what project do I embark upon? I would say that something like asteroid mining is always fascinating me. You know, as I go into my career, um, you know, far into the future, I actually want to found a company that works on asteroid mining, and I just feel that the, that the, te the technology. For something like that to be economical is almost there so in a few years i think it'd be the perfect time for a serious company to start investigating that possibility i guarantee you that the engineers will be playing kerbal space program and trying to justify this i can see it already <laughs> well that game is that game is one of the reasons i got into aerospace <laughs> just i think a, i think a lot of people i would say on the team got into space because mm -hmm. of kerbal space program a good majority and I think we made like a joke somewhere on like one of the whiteboards that we had that it says like use Kerbal Space Program as like data. I'm like, how? <laughs> <laughs> but all right. I think I think for like the NASA competition, I think they actually use Kerbal Space Program. Vanderbilt did for like really? one of the work cited. I think so. And like, I think <laughs> that's great. Our team told us that I'm like saying, I guess you can if you can have supporting evidence and data, because it's technically if you can find the scale of Kerbal yeah. Space Program and do all the calculations, you know, you have a nice mock-up of a small scale environment saying this is what would work, but you know, mm -hmm. your thrust to weight ratio is, you know, you change the scale of everything because it works in that environment and you would upscale it to the earth and then you kind of got numbers right. you can work off of, which is an interesting idea, which I yeah, had no idea that, that could be done. I wouldn't say it couldn't be done, but it's more of like, you know, they're taking stuff from a video game and applying it to real world applications, which, you know, is fascinating at times. I remember I saw a few months ago a Chinese render of one of their proposed missions that was definitely out of KST. I'm just, I'm just saying that render was not a render. That was a screenshot. It was a screenshot. They went on the Reddit forums and like they were scrolling <laughs> down. You're like, I got to find this. <laughs> I'm just saying someone in the Chinese National Space Agency is a KST player. <laughs> Would we be surprised? No, not at all. <laughs> no, no. Your lead engineer, what do you do? Kerbal Space Program on my free time. <laughs> yep. Can't get enough of work. <laughs> but, you know, if you look, I wouldn't say your college tips, you know, being an incoming freshman or a transfer student, you know, what are some things that you would, would have liked to know when you got to OSU? or at any big school for that matter? Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of doubles back to my, what would I change on my OSU career? Mm -hmm. I would say get involved in a club as early as possible. Freshman year, you should definitely try to get involved in an organization. I would say that freshman year, 
you sh- you can join a few different clubs, but by the end of that first year, you should pick which club you really want to double down on trying to get a leadership role. In. So I think that's something that really stands out to employers having a leadership role and kind of prioritizing one club be kind of made your main focus. Mm-hmm. I think I would like piggyback off of that, just finding a, a club that you're passionate in, but also find a club that gives you the opportunity to excel in what you're passionate in. Cause like exactly. you can have as many, as many organizations there are out there. Some are just like structured a certain way where it's like, you're there at a meeting, you show up, maybe they have pizza and then they're done. And it's not like, how does this help me besides they gave me food? But when you have those project teams and taking a small bit, let's say you designed a gear train for like a car. Now that's your piece of that car. And now that's going to get you hooked on to do bigger and better projects for that organization or for that project team. And eventually you may become a project manager where you're managing the entire project, your junior or senior year. Or maybe even a fifth year, because some people do become a fifth year here. So mm-hmm. I do like that. And then also the transfer students. I feel like the transfer students is like a different can because it's oh, like definitely. they're already old. They already experienced the freshman hype train. And now it's like, OK, I'm at a new university, but all these clubs have established connections with their members. And I'm just like an outsider. Right. And I'm like a sophomore and like i guess i'm supposed to fit in but everybody has the side banter especially the spring transfers coming in like this part of the oh, year definitely it's the worst time i would say to transfer but sometimes on your certain environments you have to transfer at this window depending on the individual mm-hmm. but i guess if you had to put yourself into that mindset as a you know a transfer student how would you try to like navigate of trying to join a student organization in that mindset. Man, well, that's tough. I've never really even considered transferring. Uh, I don't think I would, you're going to transfer, but like, ever, you know, <laughs> thinking about it in like yeah. hindsight. I guess like, I mean, you just try to go to like, you know, the highest has the involvement there and all kinds of other events to kind of help students. And I, I know those are mostly geared towards new students, but I think some of a lot of those events at Ohio State puts on kind of club showcases could still be helpful for transfer students to try and find a club that they're passionate about and um, they want to join. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. Just make your way through, like making your way downtown, walking fast. (laughs) (laughs) I got, I'm going to throw a reference in here left and right and see how many references people can point out. I feel like that's going to be interesting to play back when you're listening. Like I know that reference here, know it there. And I, you know, mm-hmm. kind of encourage, encourage people to say, if you can spot a reference, let me know so I can know about it. Because sometimes I may throw one out there and not even realize it. So tell me the references that you find and tell, tell them to me when you see me, you know, at BSLI meetings and at launch days. So I'll try to make my way out there and get to, you know, know more people on the team being, you know, a couple, not even like more like a year removed and some change a year and six months in reality. And now you're back into reality, the swing of things. So, but I got a good, good fun topic for you. All right. If you could live in any sci-fi universe, where would you live? Ooh, it's a tough one. Can I go a little obscure with this? Go for it. All right. My favorite book series of all time. Yes. I like this book series more than Lord of the Rings. It is the foundation trilogy. So if I could live in any sci-fi universe, I would live on the imperial capital planet of Trantor during the height of the Galactic Empire. 
Oh, very nice. I've, I'm that, that that planet was actually fun fact. That planet was actually the inspiration for George Lucas um, of the planet Coruscant in Star Wars. So it's kind of that city planet, capital of the empire kind of deal. Uh, I, I would say the Star Wars universe is up my alley, but I feel mm-hmm. like it's hard to figure out like what phase do you want to be in, like the Clone Wars? Yeah, right. Exactly. Or the Galactic Empire era or post, like after the Empire right. collapses in the era of the Mandalorian. So there's a lot of different Definitely. story arcs that you can go down. But I feel like being in the Empire like post and now you're like an Imperial warlord. It sounds mm-hmm. pretty fun. But at the same time, it's like your faction is no longer on your side. So everybody is trying to like become the new emperor for the most right, part. Right. And it changes your mindset. And I feel like watching the new star wars stuff in general kind of spins the empire a different way because like we're not really we didn't get a lot of like how bad the empire was how cruel they yeah, were yeah they were very we one-dimensional saw, in the original yeah and i would say rebels gave us a better insight but i would say andor and the bad batch have been a good segue seeing how ruthless some of the imperial leadership is definitely I kind of also want to keep going on this fun topic idea. Sure. Alternate universe. If you look at yourself in an alternate universe, what would you be doing differently? Like change. I wouldn't say change everything, but like ever thought about the idea. If you made a decision and a new universe formed, like how would it change everything for you? How would it change everything? It's like, what, what alternate decision would I have made potentially? Yeah, the I wouldn't say you can even do the biggest or smallest. I feel like the biggest ones kind of snowball off to different, you know, subgenres of like, yeah, this could have happened to this. But I feel like the college decision for me was always like the what if I went to, you know, Penn State and yeah. how would that story conclude itself? I kind of go down a, 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 a similar track to you there. Um, when I was applying to college, I actually applied and got accepted to a few schools in the UK. So I wonder how would things be different if COVID hadn't happened and I had ended up going to school over there? You know, how would things be different? You know, for me, I mean, my aerospace education would have been very different. I was still planning on going into aerospace, but how would it be different doing that in the UK so far away from, um, you know, the big industry here in the United States? Yeah. And then, but I know like the EU does have, you know, some schools that are trying to be aerospace schools and mm-hmm. trying to make their way through so like you could be like a pioneer to that university and making a space agency yeah. out of it so it's more interesting or not than like thinking like if i changed different things how would it pull itself out and you never know what it could have mm-hmm. could have should have would have become right i'm looking at like at the script and i'm like thinking i'm like yes i have good topic questions but i know if we're trying to make it into a conversation i'm just like looking at the time like we're saying we're doing great on time mm-hmm. and everybody likes a nice long podcast and i'm like thinking oh man a nice long podcast like when you're on a, a road trip and you're listening i kind of put it into the mindset if i have an hour-long podcast that is 60 miles and that yeah. means you know at a 60 mile radius that can you know if you're coming back to you know columbus and you hit that 60 mile range one bs live podcast episode could get you there or two depending how long we decided you know put things together i'm just like not forcing a topics down but it's just at the same time like i hit what i want to hit so it's like you got anything that you want to throw out at me sure i'll 
I'll hit you with a question. Mm-hmm. If you could go to space, would you go? You know, I would definitely go. I feel like I want to see like the horizon and just like mm-hmm. you see the sun rise up, but also you could see the moon rise. So it's like right. in that weird limbo state, but also like doing like the Apollo 8 mission, like swinging around the moon and coming back, like doing the eight ball, I feel like mm-hmm. would be fun. I feel like it's one of those things if you could go and have the opportunity and you know there wasn't like the rocket was like foolproof and have like a very low right. chance of failure then i'm like saying yeah go for it but if it's like one of those early stages for that rocket, it's like well i kind of will wait to see how this unfolds yeah. but if you think about a rocket's a rocket's life cycle it's not very long until they no. make something else unless it's a workhorse which changes everything yeah those Falcon 9s launch quite a bit. They stick around. Yeah, I feel like they're not going to get rid of them anytime soon. Yeah, Unless they have something else. Push them, push them to the limit. Yep, so, and they still so have the heavy they launch. Yeah, I think they're slated for five Falcon Heavy launches this year. So that'll be really cool to see. They've already done one. And then Starship's underneath construction. And I'm curious on how that one's actually going to go, to be honest. Yeah. My family actually lives in Houston right now. So I'm hoping that Starship launches when we're on break. So I can go down to Boca Chica, Texas and actually watch it. That is my dream. I just hope it launches over spring break or early summer. I feel like that is a great spring break trip to go down to. Yeah, right. I guess, are they going to launch it from Texas in the future? Or are they going to move it to the Cape? Their current plan is to kind of do experimental launches and such out of Boca Chica. But mm-hmm. they're not rated for too many launches a year out of that location. So they're like operational missions that are supposed to be at Cape Canaveral. I guess, would it be on like the historical, you know, 39A, or is that just too powerful of a rocket for that to handle? Well, they're actually building um, a pad at 39A, but it's not, it's not on the same pad as Falcon 9, but they're building a tower and launch pad on the 39A premises. Okay. So one of, the, one of the issues with that is that has NASA nervous, you know, what if there's an accident and it blows up? And that damages 39A, and that's what NASA uses to launch crew with SpaceX, of course. So NASA is actually looking at outfitting um, with 40 at the on the Space Force base um, to be able to launch crew as well. So they kind of have that backup option in case something does happen with Starship. Yeah, I guess if you could, you know, name a rocket, what would you name your rocket? If I can name a rocket, ooh, that's yeah. Little... Or if it's like a series of rockets, like you know. What would you yeah, name it? I've, I've named so many rockets in case. Yeah, I keep having trouble with this one. <laughs> um, I would say one of my favorites was, I, I named them after things. So like uh, one of my favorites is Kruithni. Okay. Which is named after, I believe it's an asteroid. I think. I'm not sure. I forget where the name comes from. I just like the way it sounds. Nice, nice. I feel like for me, I kind of made my own. I called it like Star Chaser. That's good. That's good. So it can either some beam is one I like. Yeah, I feel like it can work, but at the same time, like the name Star Chaser, like I think of like a space plane. Is it yeah, it's a dream chaser is the space plane. Yeah. But I also think it can be like a heavy rocket and have like different versions in KSP where it's like, yeah, this rocket is designed for the like the moon. Mm-hmm. in ksp and i haven't had many successful attempts at it because like i for- i think i end up screwing like the final stage and like uh-huh. <laughs> the lander's not long enough and i'm like <sighs> so i did all mm-hmm. this work and i put like a solid like 30 minutes 
onto this rocket and then i realized oh my fuel lines are backwards and i screwed up this launch stage or yeah it's either at the end of the mission where i get close or at the very beginning and i do like my separation stages from like my core stage and it collides Mm -hmm. in and i'm like saying well i'm (laughs) flying on my second stage that i don't want to be flying on but i think i can still make it and i like set up the orb i'm like saying well it kind of changes everything (laughs) Mm -hmm. right I'm like thinking what else would I name like different, I guess, rocket vehicles. I feel like it just has to be the name, the people who are on the team at the time and kind of what stands out to them. Yeah. I'm a big fan of like naming a vehicle and then and adding something to the name in terms of like where it's going, like for like for SpaceX's dragon. I love the idea of naming different variants like gray dragon for the moon or mm-hmm. red dragon from mars i just mm-hmm. love that so much okay i do like that you know red dragon gray dragon but i feel like it gets complicated when you get to like venus and jupiter because like they're both like yeah tan. Let's, let's hope to get to that point right and i feel like people are going to be like tan one and tan two or like <laughs> going to orange, like orange sherman and, williams like you know, we'll go to like you know or the crayola crayon and be like you know macaroni <laughs> or something yeah, like start, that start calling them by the hex color codes <laughs> yes elon would do something like that though. he would he would <laughs> the color palette but i guess if you had a mission patch you know what would you put on it well obviously four leaf clover mm-hmm. got out of the four leaf clover okay um almost all of nasa's mission patches to have that i believe for good luck obviously Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it all depends on the mission. I mean, if somebody like I'm going to Mars, we very different mission packs than if I was going to the ISF. Mm-hmm. I do like what Apollo 13's like the chariots of fire. I'm like, mm, yeah, this, this is pretty solid one. right here. Yeah. I feel like if I had a mission patch, I'm like, I always thought for like this podcast, like if I had to make a mission patch and I actually sit down and design it, I feel like I need like a satellite broadcasting back to the Earth. Huh. What's the what's the what's the symbolism behind that? Well, I feel like you know you got radio waves. That's kind of how I was right. going after. Mm-hmm. And then hey, at the oh, si- I see. Okay, okay. So it's like you're broadcasting back. So it's like you have the BSI pre-flight checklist, and it's mm-hmm. like you know a little satellite broadcasting, Makes or like sense. a transmission, or like you have like a little mission control sending radio waves up to a satellite. I don't know. Yeah, no, that makes sense very reasonable idea i feel like it can be done and i thought about like if i made it i feel like every time i had somebody like a guest on like give them a patch so that <laughs> they they've been on a show but then at the same time like thinking if i bring reoccurring individuals i feel like they need a new space patch to show like their hey, tenure hey, on the show astronauts go up multiple times they have different patch each time yeah so i'm like thinking yeah kind of have to do it but then that means i have to come up with a new patch like ever so often i feel like any yeah, like right. something like annual where it's like you get a new patch every year if you come back on the show maybe but like i would say have you ever been on a podcast before Corey? i have not it's my first time i hope i'm doing well <laughs> you're doing great are you enjoying yourself on this podcast you know it's definitely definitely i always love talking about space so we all love space here and i know all of our listeners love space as well and I ended up like starting calling people like rocketeers and then start catching on. And everybody's now saying I'm a rocketeer now. Oh boy. 
but I think the the origin name of the BSLI pre-flight checklist comes back to like when we were doing our launch days and it was our checklist. So like, you know, you go down and make sure you have everything and knocking things out. And like when we had the origins of the podcast, it was during COVID, of course. And we, before I would say the origins were before COVID and we joked about it at like one of the, like the town hall meetings saying, wouldn't it be cool if BSLI had a podcast? A couple yeah. months later, COVID happens. And it's like, I guess it's a reality. So it was like yeah. keeping the team informed, everybody entertained as everybody was socially distancing and being away from each other and just keeping mm-hmm. everybody together. But now it's like, okay, I was going to, I try to pass it off and then obviously trying to recuperate and recruiting heavily for the team, you know, coming back off of COVID and trying to rebuild the mm-hmm. team in that mindset, like the podcast kind of fell off and I'm like saying, I guess I can retake the reins, but it's like it's supposed to be more student driven because like I already did my time. So it should be like (laughs) you guys taking it off and like just running with it. And I'd just be like, you guys are doing great. I'll hop, hop on every once in a while to help you guys out with any like recording and editing. Cause you know, when you're in that post-grad lifestyle, you know, you got more free time than you anticipate. And then you realize it's 10 o'clock on a weeknight and it's like, I'm going to bed. (laughs) <laughs> or I'll stay up an extra hour and it's like, it's 11 and I'm like barely watching TV and I'm like dozing off. I'm like, this is not how I envisioned myself. So it's like, I got to get, you know, small projects going. I feel like getting back into the BSI pre-flight checklist, I think will do, do wonders for the organization since now mm-hmm. I'm like I agree. alumni, but also it's like the people who I, you know, went to OSU with now work at aerospace company. So like now I can bring them on to a show and then we can just, you know, reminisce, but also learn what they're currently doing in industry to inform the team. Yeah, that'd be great. And like, I know a lot of people on the team that I went with are are now at Blue Origin. So now I have to do like a Blue Origin call and get everybody on. Since there's a BSY to Blue Origin pipeline or something, you got like at least half a dozen alumni there. That is very true. And then you have, Harrison at Lockie yeah. and then the list goes on and on. Like, I know I'm leaving out people and I feel really bad about it, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like, I have to look at LinkedIn. Cause if you don't update your LinkedIn, then it's like, I'm guessing where you're at. Yeah. So I alumni remember Sierra, to, uh, which is yep. cool. alumni remember to keep your long LinkedIn up to date so I can know where y'all, but you know, I would think if we look at BSLI as a whole, and if it was, no, I would say, let me, let me take that statement back. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I want to phrase this question. Well, you know, I'm going to phrase it this way. If BSLI is able to get like a collaboration project from a, like another university or an international university, would you like to partake in it? Definitely. I think I, I'm a big fan of that kind of collaboration and cross institutional collaboration. I believe it's, Actually, it gives students a lot of experience towards what's like in the real world. Because in the real world, you have people from different companies have to come together and collaborate to accomplish missions. So I think getting that kind of experience in school would set me up really well for working in the workforce. Yeah, I feel like meeting mm -hmm. people from different perspectives, which is also cool. I think that's always been like a challenge. Like we've tried to push into that direction, like get like a high school in there that helped them design a payload. Well, mm-hmm. this year we are actually, um, last one. semester, you know, I'm on, I'm on payload team, so I participated in this. We uh, went to a high school that's here on campus, 
um, six weeks last semester, we helped them kind of design, go through the design process for a payload. We're actually going to build it and put it on our rocket this year. Nice. There you go. <laughs> a mission accomplished. I applaud. Hopefully exactly. they return safely so we can see it propped up into that school and they feel like it flew 30,000 feet. This is a exactly. lifetime dream. And we're planning say, on doing the same this semester. We'll launch one of those payloads on our test launch and one of them at Spaceport. I would, I would say from there, the next collaboration would be another club on campus, a, a small, mm-hmm. smaller project team that doesn't have a lot of members, but they you know, do projects every year and you just have them integrate something in, which that, would be That's cool. an interesting idea, huh? But I don't know what club. Yeah, nothing immediately comes to mind. I might have to uh, walk around club fair next, uh, next fall and see, see who's around. I would go to like the OSU student org like website and find like oh, that place. Yeah. I did that once. Like I was like scouring for like a solid few days. I'm like saying, okay, mm-hmm. engineering focus. And I'm like clicking like, okay, you got this club here. That's too big. That's too small. And then there's some that's not even on there. And then it's yeah. like the Battelle Center gets you connected with them. So that's like another avenue if you're trying to post a project out there and get student traction involved. I think that's another good way to bring people in to experience space. Yeah, definitely. But then like the last longevity was an international project. I wanted an international project and then COVID happened. Partnering with an international school, you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting. The only it's problem tough, is but... getting the payload over here. Yeah, you might have to integrate it at Spaceport. Oh, 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 you're saying a non-rocket club. Mm-hmm. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know about that one. That'd be tough, but it'd be cool if it, if it worked out. I guess for like a, like a rocket organization, I think it would just be on the lines of sharing resources and sharing like different processes. Yeah, definitely. You know, I want to pick your brain a little bit on that. Like, what else would you add to an international project? Like, a school from Toronto, because that's close to mm-hmm. us. Yeah. What would it add to that kind of project? Mm-hmm. Huh. I don't know. I feel like, of course, the obvious, the obvious thing is, of course, doing a payload collaboration. Because if you do a payload collaboration, you can, I think when we launch a payload, we get one data point. Because you know, we launch once, right? Mm-hmm. If we launch twice, you include the test launch. But often, we don't have a payload ready for that. But if we were partnered with, if we were to partner with another school, that's two data points. And what if you kind of expanded that to a few different schools? We can get half dozen data points for a specific payload and really get actual useful data out of an experiment because we're able to repeat it on a bunch of different rockets, get slightly different conditions on each one, which could either be a benefit or not, depending on how you look at things. So like something like that, kind of coordinated payload to get multiple data points, like I said, mm-hmm. could be something very interesting. Yeah, I think you know having the multiple different data points in there And then it kind of can turn itself into a research project where you have all these universities chipping in together to build something. But I feel like, I think, you know, doing that, but also looking at the schools in Ohio, there's a lot of universities in Ohio that may have a space team or an organization interested in space. I would say I will take the latter, a student organization interested in space because you've got like Toledo, Akron, Dayton. Well, you Cincinnati, know, Ohio, Ohio. Ohio, had, Ohio had five different teams at Spaceport. Five different from, teams. From the state of Ohio, five, yes. Wow. I think there's Dayton, I think. Case Western became second overall. 
us, Kent State, and I think OU. I think yeah. there are, yeah, I think those are the five. So there is there are a lot of rocket clubs in Ohio. So it'd be kind of cool to do a pan Ohio collaboration kind of thing. The longevity project to get every Ohio university on board. Yeah, right. And I, I think would... there's a new one, a mm-hmm. new Ohio team starting this year. I forget what school it was, but they actually came to one of our meetings to kind of see how a real rocket club does does conduct their meetings and stuff. So I'm not sure if there'll be a spaceport this year, but it was cool to kind of help them out and kind of show them how it's done. Yeah, I do remember hearing that was being in the works. I wouldn't say in the works, was talked about. And yeah, I think it, it turned yeah. out well. Yeah, they, I think they definitely learned a lot. You know, I'm very curious on how that team does. I feel like we need like yeah, a small see. mini documentary on them. <laughs> yeah, I'm blanking on what school it was. It'll huh. come back to you. You'll be on the show and you'll tell me again. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Hopefully. I'm like thinking like Ohio University would feel like a great collaboration. But at the same time, I'm thinking Liquid might be the, the thing that ties everything together because it's such an expensive project. Yeah, right. But the amount of magnitude and dangerousness with that, and you have a lot of schools working on it with a lot of different documentation processes. Yeah, it's could be a disaster in itself. And also, I mean, just the logistics and liquids is something that's so hands-on. You know, how do you collaborate with someone who's an hour, hour and a half away? It's tough. Yeah. I'm like thinking like an hour radius doesn't sound that bad, but it's like when you do back and forth a few times, it's like... Yeah, an hour radius gets you to date. And if you're starting to talk, if you're starting to, talk to the University of Cincinnati, you're now pushing an hour 45. Yep. But it's like, no, I would say not... I would say that the schools here don't really have it. The testing capability that I'm aware of, or nobody's boasting about. Yeah. So it's like Ohio State kind of has to be the front runner in it. And then the other universities can, you know, participate mm-hmm. and kind of use the facility for just cause. But at the same time, I'm this facility be a very expensive facility, I would say. But I think it's one that's well worth it. The problem is where would Ohio state put this facility? That's the debate that's yeah. been having for like the longest time. Well, supposedly the aerospace research center up by the airport used to do kind of high energetics kind of testing. So I think that an idea that's been floated has been repurposing one of those Ferraris, but I don't think that's really gone anywhere or been seriously pursued. Yeah. I, I remember sitting on like the liquid team when we were trying to do it and it was like mm-hmm. right up there. But at the same time, it was like the hazmat part. Yes, there's a fire mm-hmm. department up there, but also you have, right. you know, houses that are bought nearby. If it was like in the middle of like nowhere, then yes, it would easily be lifted off the ground. But since it's so close to like suburbia, it's mm-hmm. difficult for the university to say, yeah, I guess we can throw money in that direction. But at the same time, you got to have the professors and the staff to do it. And that's the big right. drawback at Ohio State right now. You now, if you right. have people from industry pumping in the money, it changes That'd the game. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. But still, that's even tough for them, for them to pour into and yeah, to help justify to, it. Yeah, they have to justify their business. They have to justify the expense. They have to find a number to charge the hours to. You know, mm. it's tough. The only way I could see is like it turns itself into a pipeline. So like after you graduate, you get a job at that aerospace company. 
And then yeah. you just go back to Ohio State to work on the project some more. But now yeah. as a full-time employee. Yeah, maybe. You'd be nice. I'm like thinking like, I know University of Michigan and Purdue have them. I'm like thinking we're, we're, we're in the Big Ten and we don't have cool toys like they do. I'm like, we yeah, need right. that. Even though our yeah, airport produce. is like top notch because like we got yeah. private jets flying in all the time. And it's like, I think at one point it was like maybe the fourth or second busiest airport for some reason. Like there was a lot of air traffic coming into like Don Scott. Huh, interesting. And it was like, I think like John Glenn, I think was maybe number one. I'm not too sure. Like it was like, there was like few in there. I think probably like Cincinnati it's probably up there as well because of like all the Delta flights that fly through. Yeah. But like Don Scott had a lot of air traffic coming through. I'm like, wow, that's very impressive because I did not know that. Huh. But it's all the private jets and you have a lot of like headquarters in Columbus. So I'm like, right. is that really surprising? I don't know. Because <laughs> it's like you got net jets, you know, probably flying out of like John Glenn. But then you also have the cargo right, facility, facility of Rickenbacker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of different stuff happening in this area. Can't wait to see how you know it continues to de- grow and develop. It's like yeah, isn't like the Wexner across the way, like under construction of like a new building. I don't even know what it is. Yeah, like, they're building a new tower that's even taller than the um, existing one. So it's uh, been under construction all year. They're making good progress on it. So yeah, I've been like watching it like every day. I'm like saying I see all the you know scaffolding, metal stuff. Yeah. I'm like, okay, now they're putting up the walls. I'm like. Yeah, this facility has got to be something like a big expansion, more research, more experience for the students. I, I kind of right. like it where it's going. And then like also West Campus is under, you know, development as well. Seeing that. Yeah, construction. buildings going up over there. There used to be ath- athletic fields out there. And then they took that away. I'm like saying that's kind of depressing. But, <laughs> you know, you're trying to expand the university to that extent yeah, expand offerings to students. I thought they were going to put dorms out there. Oh, that, oh, that, you can't it's put far. dorms out there until there are more classes out there. That's what they're building the buildings. That's, that's how it starts. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I was like, if I was the architecture for the university out in West Campus, I feel like to make people worthwhile to stay out there, I would build yeah. the Ohio dorms and spell out Ohio. I feel like that's a great way to do it. Maybe. Yeah, we call it we call um Morrill and Lincoln West Campus right now and we're talking housing. Imagine going across the river. Yeah. But the Ohio's I feel like it's one of those things like as they fly like the Goodyear blimp, you'll see it. Mm-hmm. And they have like college yeah. game day. So I think it's like one of those eye catching moments. I feel like they have to construct something like that. Yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting, definitely from the air. You get four new dorms out of the process. So I'm like thinking it right. doesn't sound too bad. Right. You got an H building, you got two O's. The I one's the one I'm trying to figure out the most. Because, like, how do you dot the I? I think the O is interesting because you have windows looking in on windows. Yes. On the inside. And you have, like, a courtyard in the center. Yeah. I guess the I would just be, like, a capital I. So it'd be, like, an H on the side. Yeah, definitely capital. So then it kind of works itself out. I feel like everybody wants to stay in the O's. (laughs) <laughs> yeah probably who knows 
because I feel like there would be a, at least a dining hall in one of the O's. I can see, I can guarantee that. Well, yeah, if you're building campus, if you're building dorms on West Campus, you need all the things out there. I mean, you need food and all that because there's nothing existing. There's nothing out there. Yeah, there's nothing out there. But I am curious if they did put something out there, like what food options would they put out there? Like that's something exactly. like, that's I thought something about. Out there. Maybe pizza. I feel like a pizza place has to be out there because every college kid we loves have pizza. Pizza around. I remember the pizza ATM in one of the towers. I never used it. Really? I've, I've, I'll, I'll say I've never been in a tower. I've been in the towers a few times, actually. Yeah. My orientations was in the towers, and it was hard to unlock the door. So that was the first sign that I don't belong in the towers. <laughs> And then I've been to like the towers a few nights to just chill with friends. I'm like saying Mm -hmm. this building brings people together. But also when I was looking at the floor plans, the max configuration for the towers for roommates, each, okay. Each room has four rooms in it, but if you put into the bunk bed configuration, you can have 16 people living in like one suite. Wow. That's too many people. I'm like thinking a baseball team. That is a platoon. So imagine a freshman <laughs> platoon walking down high street. Everybody's a roommate together. Oh my gosh. Sure. You have like the small clicks of each, you know, individual pod but all together. They all live in the same yeah. vicinity. That's 16 deep. Yeah, I, I couldn't do that. I could barely live with one roommate. <laughs> but I just think of all the video game tournaments, like Mario Kart, Smash oh, Bros. happen every other weekend. Yes, <laughs> you got a bracket of 16. You're always in the sweet 16. You're never out hey, of it. Yeah. Because yeah. I did that in my dorm. Like we had a Smash Bros tournament and we had like weekly rankings. So if you beat oh, wow. who, you had to win best two out of three to justify it. And then uh-huh. we also implemented if the individual was away for like, you know, spring break or like fall break and there was somebody above them you would have to win a set twice to be able to Ooh, like wow. jump up two spots. Uh-huh. So like the first time you played somebody who's two positions above you, you beat them once you replace the person who wasn't there. Cause it's like, they're below them. So in hindsight, like right. you're better than them. And then you can match them again in another series. And if you beat them, you move up two spots. Huh? I know. So you have to win like four games and the other person only wow. has to win two. So it's like, if you got to know what you're doing for like your main and smash bros i'm like saying okay definitely, i can do that definitely. but it was work i'm like man i have to <laughs> win a, a set four times in a row or like split it up uh, how, it's far, like, how far did you get what i was ranking? like fifth i would say fifth out of out of like nine so i was okay, like mid-tier but it was like who who's your main king k rule Ah, of course. Yeah, I was a heavy. I, I had like my combo. I threw my crown, shot the cannonball, suck you back uh-huh. in, fired you out. So like I had like a nice rhythm going. But it's like when somebody was like playing like the fast characters, it was hard for me uh-huh. to keep up. Oh, so that's sure. why I kind of sat in the middle, like mid tier. So like mm-hmm. I had like one friend made like Samus and it was just like a pain to get through. Yeah, I'm a Samus main personally. And I'm like, why can't I get past this individual? Because it's like, well, they have a faster character. So it's like, yeah, my reaction time has to be faster than theirs. But their inputs, you know, just get them through. I'm like, 
But then we opened up to like the entire dorm. So we had like a couple smash tournaments. And I would say my greatest comeback was against the Jigglypuff. And I was down like 3-1 and I come back and won. (laughs) It was the the greatest comeback of all time. Like even like my RA, who was also in the rankings, was astonished how I came back 3-1 and won it. (laughs) Wow. That's a Jigglypuff, you know, can't be that. But the person was going for the rest. Because I was a high yeah. percentage from coming back like 3-1. So like all you mm-hmm. have to do is a simple rest and you got it. I'm like, they missed the rest. I'm like saying, oh, this is prime real estate. And I just like did like yeah. a down C. I'm like, get this Jigglypuff out of here. There you go. And then that was my hype. I was like, okay, I can lose after this. I came back 3-1. I didn't get swept. Yeah. <laughs> or like took out one stock and then just like, well, I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say the college dorm life the video game rankings, the tournaments that you can have. I would say the dorm life experience is very interesting. You get the yeah, guy, get the right definitely floor. Definitely where I put it. Got to get the right floor. That's all I can say. Yeah. I know we're approaching on to an hour. Do you got any final thoughts would you like to throw on today's show? Uh, I don't think so. Just, yeah, thank you for having me. Hopefully I'll uh, come back. You know, love to have you on the show. It's great to be back on the airwaves. Sharing the BSLI propaganda, as I like to say sometimes, getting people passionate about space also allows people to get to know the team a little bit better about individuals, because sometimes you may not be able to talk to individuals here on the podcast will give you the opportunity to ask, you know, your friends and colleagues, other questions that you may have, you know, you wanted to ask them, but never got the chance to ask them. So like the podcast is for everybody's usage, even if you you know, you don't need my permission to get like an episode out there. You just have to, you know, reach out to who I don't know who's ever going to be in charge of it. But I think I'm like thinking maybe social media chair should probably take yeah. the reins. But even the secretary probably can also take it as well. So if you have an episode and you want to put it up there, by all means, you know, get the I wouldn't say get the email, but have them upload it, save it on to like the share, not the SharePoint, but we all know the SharePoint because I'm stuck at work and thinking the SharePoint, but you know, on the Outlook box or storage facility, I don't even, what is it? Is that Outlook? I'm not too sure. It's OneDrive. <laughs> OneDrive. There we go. I'm, I'm getting close. There's too many cloud-based <laughs> softwares and storage platforms. We'll get there eventually, ladies and gentlemen. But without further ado, thank you so much, Corey, for coming on. Can't wait for more episodes. Season three is going to be a blast. And I know later today, I got another episode to do. Same topics, but maybe it goes down a different rabbit hole, different tangents. So same script. So you may hear some of the same questions, but the side stories will be different. The banter will be different as well. So that episode will be released maybe two weeks later to give myself enough breathing room. But also I can get other episodes recorded in the process. So in reality, hindsight, things will be slightly delayed between. So like you hear something that's old because there's like a couple weeks delay. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I'm hitting like the Midwestern goodbye, not knowing when to stop. But this will be my signing off. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a great day or a great evening or great whatever time zone that you're in. Thank you so much for listening. So long for now. Bye bye.